Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, please allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Just a quick item here. You probably picked up the shepherd theme amongst our readings today. And you will have thought, what does the passage in Acts have to do with shepherds? You know, we had Psalm 23. We had, in Revelation, the, the shepherd leading them at the very end of that passage. And obviously you heard about the shepherd in our gospel passage. Let us recall last week's sermon and Jesus' charge to Peter. What did he say to Peter when he was fully restoring him? He said, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. In that passage in Acts, you know, we, we focus mostly on the narrative of what's happening with the resurrection of our sister in Christ. But at the very end of that passage, in Acts 9.42, it says this, And it became known throughout all of Joppa. What happened? What Peter was doing and the works of the Lord became known. And then it says, And many believed on the Lord. And finally, in verse 33, So it was that he, that is Peter, stayed many days in Joppa with Simon the Tanner. So, when you look at that, he was doing what? He went there, yes, he did a miracle, and that's important, but don't forget what happened after that. He was feeding the sheep of those that believed. So that is how that ties together here today. So here today, we would, you might be asking yourselves, you know, we, we admonished you some time ago, if you are able in your week to read through uh, the gospel lectionary reading each week just in preparation for the Lord's Day. If you have children, to read it with them. Um, there, there is no law here, but it is helpful in, in thinking. And you might have thought, okay, we're in the Easter season. After all, Christ is risen. risen and you're thinking, why did the lectionary go back to John chapter 10? That doesn't seem very clear at all and what, about what the connection to the resurrection is. We need to remember that the, from the Lord's resurrection until his ascension, 40 days transpires in the life of all the disciples. Where we see the emphasis predominantly on the remaining apostles, we're also reminded in the narrative of the women and men who were close disciples to Jesus. They were getting up each and every day. They were breathing. They were living. They were going about their business. We know from last week that they even went and fished, going back, returning to uh, what they had always done. And we see that the disciples needed to be encouraged as to who Jesus was and what he was doing here on earth. As we consider today's gospel reading, we, like the disciples, will both be reminded of Jesus' purpose in coming and the call to repentance from idolatry that Jesus is constantly providing to Israel and her leaders. God, in his sovereignty, planned all that was happening to the disciples. You know, our title of the sermon today, if you look in your notes, 
is the good shepherd and the idol. As Christians, we need to beware of the idols that we have in our lives. So let us consider again more about why they needed to be encouraged. Matthew 26, 31 says this, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go to Galilee. This is a quote from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, that says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones, and it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. And listen to this, people of God. Think of the resurrection and what Jesus said, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, this is my God. Remember, Jesus declared to Mary Magdalene on the day of resurrection, go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, your Father, and to my God, your God. You see how this is fitting together? Often in the Christian life, we've heard God's truth of his eagerness to forgive those who repent. That we, because of Jesus, are reconciled to God. That the living triune God is our Father and God. But life and circumstances can make us feel like scattered sheep. Disconnected, without direction, and helpless in our circumstances. Like sheep without a shepherd, let us turn to God's holy word for instruction. So... We're first today, as we consider our lectionary reading, need a little bit of a lead-in. We need some context. We're talking about submission through hearing. We see that in John chapter 9, it says, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him, that's Jesus, heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. And that sounds really odd and out of context. I don't know how this works. But I am trying to tell you that in God's design, the eyes are what God gives us for judgment. And the ears is what God gives us as the organ of submission. The question here is about submitting to Jesus as Lord or submitting to idols. The scripture teaches us, from the beginning of creation, that the eye is the organ of judgment. From day, chapter three, or from day three through day six of creation, it says that God saw things and it was good. He saw it and he judged that it was good. When we get to Genesis 131, we also see that God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good, right? But again, he saw it. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Although God's word, through God's word, we can see that we are to hear, we need to submit by hearing. For example, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, it says this, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things 
your eyes have seen, take judgment, learn from, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, and let them hear my words. Why? That they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and then they may teach their children. Do you know how you it demonstrate that you are actually in submission to God? When you take action on it. When you share it with others. When you teach your children. When you teach the church. When you teach and disciple others. This helps us to understand that Jesus is speaking to those who are in position Positions of judgments of others. Coming back to when they say, can we, can we see? We, they heard him. You know, you know, don't we see? We're blind and all of that. And by the way, that's all in the context of John chapter 9 where there is the miracle of healing the blind man. This all helps us to understand the sounds of the covenant out there. But this helps us understand that the political and religious leaders for sure were hearing, but they were not submitting. You know, this is very interesting, though. If you look in that passage from, from Deuteronomy, we see that the instruction isn't just for the leaders. It's also to parents. And I, I want to even say through the Great Commission, spiritual parents, right? We are commanded to teach all that God has commanded. Let us consider John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They have to know his voice. They're hearing, and thereby they are submitting to his leadership. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration. Hear this now. But they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Why didn't they understand? Because they were not hearing. They were not submitting to God and what was plainly given to them. They had their own agenda. They were serving their own idols. This should be disconcerting to us. Are we submitting to God's word or our own agendas? No matter what the evidence is that God provides, first in his word and then also by his sovereign will leading you in your life. We see as we continue on in John 10, beginning at verse 7, Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He is saying something. He's speaking. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, 
and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And he says, you have to come through me. There are others, there are other idols, but they have only come to steal, kill, and destroy. We in the church do not believe Jesus on this point. I'm going to say that again. We in the church do not believe Jesus on this point, that he truly came for us to have life and to have it abundantly. The point of where life and abundant life comes from is never simply accepted in our daily lives. Satan, the thief, brings all enticements that appeal to us. What appeals to our sinful natures or what our itching ears want to hear? The organ of submission. Thus submitting ourselves to those things that are not abundant life, but rather submitting to those things which steal, kill, and destroy us. We act as unbelievers and grasp at all kinds of other ways to what we think will bring us abundance. We desire things our own way and do not submit to hearing and following God's word. You know, one of the reasons that the leaders of Israel did not want to submit to God is because they didn't like his plan. I want us to consider victory through death. In verse 11 of chapter 10 of John, it says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But rather, what they want to do is to gain for themselves self-preservation. Contrast that to Jesus' response that the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14 goes on and says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. And here again, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ is the good shepherd, does not concern himself with selfish preservation for his own benefit, but he lays down his life for the benefit of his sheep. Right in the middle of his plan of what he's doing, he, he puts this in and it reminds us of his purpose, not for just the people of Israel, those hearing right then, but also for us and for our children and our children's children. It says in verse 6, And other sheep which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they, there will be one flock and one shepherd. We cannot pass up Jesus' constant reminders of the call of Israel to be the priest to the nations. Being the people of God is not about our self-preservation as his people, but truly to make disciples of all the nations. In the middle of this narrative, he reminds them of what they're supposed to be doing. They don't like that either. It's not about me and my personal gain. It's about laying down myself for others. 
Again, when we pick up in verse 17, we see this, victory through defeat. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Therefore there was division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? We're talking about hearing and seeing. You're never going to judge rightly. You're never going to be able to evaluate things rightly without submitting yourself first to God's words. The Pharisees could not understand victory by defeat. The story of the Bible is nothing but one story after another through which the people who are completely undone, exposed, and helpless by their sin, and God delivers them. However, we also see the narrative of how Satan and all that he does to entice, to bring us to be the enemies of God. And he brings others and entices others to be the enemies of not only God, but also his people. We are not delivered in our own strength, but rather only by God's merciful intervention. Psalm 20 verse 5 says this, We will rejoice in your salvation. In the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. With the saving strength of his right hand, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save the Lord. May the king answer us when we call. Again, we see this promise, this narrative that's going on that God delivers us. It's not of our own strength. It's not of our own doing. But you don't want to fall into that place where you are serving other idols and not God's word. We, like the Pharisees, desire to be God, to rescue ourselves. In the end, however, we are living in self-deception. We see in this, in this reading that there is evidence that is rejected. We must pay attention to the details that John, by the inspiration of the Spirit, gives us. Remembering God's Word, there are never any wasted words. And we're going to pick up right where our lectionary reading began. Now it was the Feast of the Dedication. Now, people of God, this is the Feast of Lights. We know today is Hanukkah, right? And there's a whole story going on there. But essentially, it's the miracle of how God delivered His people and through a miracle created the oil, let the oil last until more oil could be made in the temple, then it lights up the temple. Remember, they are supposed to be, the people of Israel are supposed to be the, the city on a hill where the light shines from. And that is why Jesus is in Jerusalem. And it says this, in Jerusalem, so now it was the, the Feast of Dedication, in Jerusalem, and it is winter. Now why would God give us this detail? It is not just the winter seasonally, but also in the history of Israel, it is winter. Israel is supposed to be 
living with delight in God's word, and there be, thereby be, as Psalm 1-3 says, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. However, Israel is not fruitful, but is truly like a leaf in winter. Like a tree without leaf in winter. So here we come back to John chapter 10, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Why is he at Solomon's porch? This is to be understood, or excuse me, this portion is understood to be part of Solomon's original temple that is still existing. When Herod comes in and he rebuilds everything, this Solomon's portico was part of the, the temple that Solomon had built. But it's not just a portion of the temple dedicated to Solomon, but rather a place where King Solomon stood and worshipped God, and perhaps even where he stood when he dedicated the temple of God and the glory cloud filled the temple. That's the context of what's happening leading up to this. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, which means he said, he spoke, they heard, but they didn't submit. And it says, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. Disbelief in God is never about the evidence. Disbelief is about not receiving and submitting to the evidence that God provides. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Jesus' response to this question of supposed suspense is the same response that Jesus gave earlier to John the baptizer's disciples who asked him the same question. Are you he? Luke chapter 7 says this, When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now notice, they asked for Jesus to answer, and what did he do? And that very hour he cured many of the affirmities, afflictions and evil spirits, and to, me, and to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Do you see this? This theme of blindness that they see? Jesus is restoring it both physically and spiritually. Those that are deaf, he is restoring both physically and spiritually. 
Later in verse 29 of Luke 7, it says this, When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. They rejected the will of God by not hearing, not submitting to his word. Now, we can hear all this and we can say, I'm pretty undone. There's a lot of sin before me. I've got idols in my life. Consider this, coming back to our narrative in chapter 10 of John, verse 27, we hear about absolute assurance. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. As Christians, we are to submit to God's word. We are to hear Jesus' voice through his word. God has providentially planned your life circumstances and He is calling you to follow His Word, the Bible. It is truly sufficient for all things. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why does He do all that? That the man of God, that the people of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Again, returning to John chapter 10, verse 28, And I give them eternal life. This is Jesus assuring his people, my sheep. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Praise God, we are kept by God. We must remember that it is a deception if we believe we are delivered from sin by our own works. We typically understand that we are delivered from our sin by Christ. But after we're saved, we can fall into a holy pietism that is our own. Then we think we are kept by our own good works and we do not daily submit to God's word and, and have a humble and repentant heart. We must reject this deception that leads to self-righteousness and it leads to an isolation of ourselves. Isolation that prevents us from being restored to God that we may do what God has made us for. It isolates us against these things, and it keeps us from the call. What were you made for, people of God? To be his ambassadors of reconciliation to the nations. Let us be assured by the doctrine of omnipresence. Not only can no one snatch us away from Jesus' hand, but all of God is with us everywhere, all the time. The religiously prideful forget this fact. And they submit to the idols of the nations. Here we see in the passage back in John chapter 10, a rejection and a judgment falling. It says in verse 31, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? Jesus asked for which of these evidences that God has provided that you are condemning me to death for? Remember, these are the evidences that God has provided through him to 
these hearers. What we are studying today is tied to the previous passage in John 9. Je Jesus simply heals a blind man. The Pharisees get up in arms because Jesus healed the blind man on the Sabbath. They bring this blind man to trial. They even bring his parents to trial. But they're like, no, he's of age. Deal with him because they're afraid. But why are they afraid? Because it says in the scriptures that the Jews had already decided to excommunicate anyone who said that Jesus was the Christ. They had already decided. They had already rejected it. John 9, 24 tells us this. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. They demanded it. Give God the glory. Right? Listen to what they say next. We know this man, they're talking about Jesus, is a sinner. And he, that's the blind man, answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, though, I was blind, and now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. They didn't submit. And he asked them, Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He's saying, do you also want to submit to him? Then they reviled him. This is the blind man who can now see and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said, why, this marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now, listen, here's a blind man. He's, he's been out of the house of the Lord because when you were blind, you couldn't go into the house of God. You were considered stricken and unclean. That's part of what Jesus is doing. He is going through and clearing up all the barriers that people have to go and worship God, to be reconciled to God. That is the purpose of his miracles, and through that, they're not only made whole physically, but they are made purified and able to go and worship the Father. And he says this, this is the blind man. So he hasn't been, maybe he went to synagogues at Sunday school, but he wasn't in the temple. But he's heard and he knows God's word because he answers this in verse 31. Now we know, and he, when he says we, he says, I know, my parents know, you know, and everybody else standing around in this trial, we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he that is God hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And what is their response? They answered him and said to him, You were completely born in sin. And you are teaching us? And they cast him out. Listen, people of God, there's, there's a narrative here that we're seeing in our culture around us. They simply dismissed the healed man. The Pharisees used the technique 
that C.S. Lewis later names as Bulverism. If you can't defeat the evidence, simply attack the person that, and dismiss them. Have we seen that? But you know what? We can do the same thing. We do not want to be in the shoes of the Pharisees. Do we have other competing idols because we're not submitting to God's word? Now returning to Jesus in the temple, because remember, that all leads up. If, if you look at this, this whole passage, John 9, all the way through 10, and the close of 10, that's really one complete thought. It's one narrative, and I know there's a greater narrative, but it's one thing because it all leads in together. These same Pharisees that are facing Jesus in the temple were there. They were the same ones that were dealing with Jesus because the narrative and the theme of the shepherd goes all along through this. And this is why he's responding to them in this way. The Jews answered Jesus. Now they're responding. For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are gods. If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him who, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. If you do, if you do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe in me, believe the works. He's saying, believe the evidence that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hands. Now, that's a little choppy and you say, there's this weird quote Jesus is doing. What is happening here? Jesus does respond to those who want to destroy him but he does it with scripture. He quotes a portion from Psalm 82. Remember, it is not just the phrase that Jesus is referencing, but the entire context of the psalm. Now, remember this. God, you know, when you read scriptures and you see a quotation, don't just take it as that one piece that's in there. Remember, God knowing the fragility that we had, the limitations that we had, the ability to not really have printing presses or the internet or any of those things when all this is going on, you know, what the Spirit is having them write on, there's limited. So when he puts in that verse, he wants you to think, well, what's the whole context of Psalm 82? It's not very long, but it's going to bring clarity because you could say, this is kind of weird. I don't really get it. Can, can we be honest? That's kind of like how this looks. I don't understand it all the way. Psalm 82 verse 1 says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. Where is Jesus standing? He's standing in Solomon's portico, right? Where the king stood. And he judges among the gods. And this is little g. This is the word Elohim. It is lords. It's leaders. It's judges. We're to this back to hearing and seeing, submitting and judging. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. 
They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. In John chapter 9, verse 40, it says, Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? You see how this is connecting? They're blinded. They're, gr they're grasping around in darkness. Why? Because they're unjust judges, and they are not following God's word. Verse 6 of Psalm 82, And I said to you, You are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. And there's a plea at the end of Psalm 82. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. It's not just justice to those that are struggling. And, and we can certainly make a larger case for all of those peoples listed. But I think we can look at it this way. In his commentary, the Psalms translated and explained, Joseph Alexander points out this Psalm ends with a petition. Since the representative, and this is the quotation, since the representative or delegated judges had proved so unfaithful, God would appear in person and reclaim the powers which had been so wickedly abused. This was sought not just for inside of Israel, where this prayer originated, but throughout the whole world. You know, Jesus is fulfilling this petition in Psalm 82, right in God's temple from the lineage of King David. The judges of Israel, these little gods, were not doing as they were called to judge and lead Israel in justice and truth as the priest to the nations. And now Jesus, the Son of God, has come to bring justice, first to the Jews and then to the whole world. John 10.39 reminds us that at the very end of all this evidence, and Jesus states this Psalm 82, and they're hearing all this, what do they do? They reject the evidence, they reject God's word, and it says, therefore they sought again to seize him, but he escapes out of their hand. We find here at the end of this great and dramatic scene of Jesus, the king of the Davidic line, on trial in the glorious temple, surrounded by the Feast of Lights, and all who are in there. There's a great battle of truth that was being waged. And we come here at this point to the quiet prologue of the scene. All of a sudden, Jesus is no longer at the center of the world. That is Jerusalem. And it's only the center of the world because the Spirit of God is dwelling there. His house is there. Where the hustle and the bustle of the crowds were feasting to Jesus, quiet in the wilderness. Verse 40 of chapter 10 says, And he, that is Jesus, went away again beyond the Jordan to a place where John was baptizing at first, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true. And what does it say? And many believed him there. Jesus, by the will of of their gracious and merciful God continues to call the people to repentance by hearing and obeying God's word. We cannot live as God's people if we do not hear and thus submit to God's word. Otherwise, we are submitting to idols. John 14.23 tells us this, And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. 
And the word which you hear is not mine, but my Father's who sent me. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your every word, for the word that judges us, for the word that revives us, for the word that directs us, for the word that comforts us. We thank you, our Father, that we can rest in your word, that you are our strength, our shield, and our defender. And according to your word, we can both lay down in peace and sleep. For you, Lord, makes us to dwell in safety. Our God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.